Thanks for checking out the Anchor Faith Message Podcast from St. Augustine, Florida. Now enjoy this message. Pastor specifically asked me to minister tonight a subject that I've actually ministered over a hundred times, but never from this platform. And it is the greatest honor, and I have the most excitement tonight to be able to minister to you all tonight about the subject of the kingdom covenant. I'm excited. Because when we sing songs about the blood and we sing songs about Jesus and what he did on the cross, I, I really believe most Christians have real, no real understanding of what that means, what that represents, and what it actually did for you. We just know that someone died because we were supposed to die, and we get stuck there. When his blood did so much more, so much more. So as we start looking at this subject tonight, we, uh, the title of my message is Sacred. And we're going to, you know, stick with me to the very end because there's a, there's a part of this that is very, very, very serious. And most Christians, most Americans, most people that would say, oh, I know God, really don't understand the seriousness of the relationship we have with him. But with that, as serious as our relationship towards him should be, you understand God is just as serious, if not more so, with his relationship towards us. So when we talk about things, I want to just open up and just say, there's no way that I could really ever minister without laying this foundation of the kingdom of God. Because for us to understand the relationship we have with someone, you have to understand who the relationship is with. It's not just some deity that he's far off and that you can try to please him with your, your actions and try to, you know, befriend him. No, who he is, is a king. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, he says, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. So that means man was to be made like God, and he says, let them rule, which tells me God rules. Kings rule. He's on a throne. We know that in anybody who spent any time at Anchor Bay Church, right, we, we understand this, but it's good to remind you because the problem is when, you, when you're told to have a relationship with God, has anybody ever been told to have that? You need a relationship with God. Have we heard that? Raise your hand. The problem is that leaves too many unanswered questions. Because if you don't understand who God actually is, it's going to be difficult to actually interact with him. And then if you don't understand what kind of relationship you're supposed to have, it leaves you guessing at, well, what kind of relationship do I want with God? When if you really read the Bible in context, the whole scripture tells us that God is interested in one relationship with you and that's it. One. When, and we're going to go somewhere. But whenever we look at relationships, there's different kinds of relationships. So first we have to establish we are in a to have a relationship with the king. When a king speaks, his word is law and decree and unbreakable. We see that all throughout the Old Testament and even throughout history. When a king speaks, his word is law and he is bound to it. So right out the gate, when we understand that God's a king, he's not this, um, just, just this deity that can do whatever he wants. A lot of times people want to say God's in control. God is in control of his own word because he's a king. He's not doing just whatever he wants. He's a very legal God. He always abides by the rules that he's established through his word. And he never violates them ever. He never has. He never will. But then also the type of relationship we have, understand, I've got a lot of different relationships. I've got my dad's in the room tonight, and anybody that was here last time my dad ministered, don't worry, I'm not going to get revenge and push him off the stage. But our father-son relationship is different than my father-son relationship with my own kids. So for me to just say, oh, I just need a relationship, it's important to define the relationship. I've got different responsibilities, different obligations. The way that I interact with my children is different than the father-son relationship I have with my dad. He got all the responsibility in that one. I, yeah. But even so, there's other relationships that get deeper. My relationship with my wife is different than just a friendship. So I have friends. I've got my marriage relationship. I've got my children. I'm always balancing relationships. So then the problem is if you just tell somebody, you need a relationship with God, it leaves them to think, well, I want God to be my friend. And then we read where God calls Abraham friend, and God says, you know, and when we start singing songs, about, I am a friend of God. And like we act like that's the pinnacle of relationship we can have with God is that we're friends. He would have never called Abraham friend and never had that facet of relationship if Abraham violated the main relationship he was supposed to have. My wife and I are great friends, but our friendship is solely dictated on how I handle our marriage relationship first. 
So again, the importance of understanding the type of relationship that we're to have with God is super key. So whenever we look into the Bible, the word covenant shows up so much. There's like this central theme in the Bible that it's about a king, his kingdom, and his royal offspring. And the other central underlying theme is that the way he wants to interact with his offspring is through covenant. The word covenant is mentioned over 300 times in the Bible, just by word. And then by concept, another 690 times. In fact, when you pick up your Bible and you read it, it's based on the Old Testament and the New Testament. That word testament is literally, literally defined as the word covenant. So every time you pick up your Bible, you're reading the written covenant of God to you. So if we miss the relationship God wants to have with us, and we end up trying to define a different relationship, we'll miss everything that he's had in store for you. I mean, when you look at Adam and God, again, when a king speaks, his word is law. So everything that comes out of God's mouth is a covenant command that he himself is bound to. If it comes out of his mouth, he's bound to it. So I want to give a couple of scriptures here that shows the importance of God's word, even to him. I sent 56 scriptures, I think, to the, uh, <laughs> the sound guys. We're going to try to get through where we're going to get through. But if we look at Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, this first part of this verse, God speaks. And he says, for I, the Lord, do not change. Does God change? No. I do not change. Okay, let's go to Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. Numbers 23, 19. Got to be quick. It says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. For he has said and... He has said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Let's go to Joshua chapter 21, verse 45. Come on, what's more important than the word of God? Joshua chapter 21, verse 45. It says, not one of the good promises that the Lord has made to the house of Israel failed. All came to pass. Every single thing God ever said in his word to his covenant people Israel, he made sure they came to pass. Okay, let's keep going. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 12. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 12. And this is what God is saying about his own covenant word. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 12 says, And the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am... What is that? Oh, let me read it from mine. I have no idea what that word is. It says, Then the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. It's not what it says in here. But again, God says, I'm watching over my word to perform it. What is he looking for? What is he concerned with? His word. You understand the children of Israel, when you look at them being in captivity, it was, God told Abraham, he said, listen, your, your descendants, after you're long gone, your descendants are going to become captive in a land that's not theirs. And they're going to be slaves for over 400 years. And I'm letting you know that in advance. And then the children of Israel show up and they've been slaves for, you know, let's say 100 years, 200 years, 300 years. And you're thinking, if God's so good, why didn't he deliver them? He said, you'll be there for 400 years. So they may have cried the whole time, but he wasn't as concerned with their situation or their tears as much as he was making sure his word came to pass. And you might think, well, that doesn't seem very nice. It doesn't seem like God's a nice guy. Like, why is, if he's so good, then why would he just let them suffer? The most endearing quality that God has is that he will never ever go against or violate his word. We've got a few more. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 11. Isaiah 55 verse 11. It says, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the manner for which I sent it. Matthew 24 35 says, heaven and earth will pass away, but what will remain? His word will remain. Heaven and earth will pass away, but there's one thing in the whole universe that will never change, never be depleted, never go away, and that is the word of God. So there's no way we could talk about God's covenant word without getting into understanding how his word operates and how valuable his word is to him and how he expects it to be valuable to us. But whenever we start talking about covenant, this is really a term that gets lost in, in the fact that we live in 2022. You know, Wait, I lost all sense of time just for a second. 
And that we, you know, most of us here have come from the United States of America. Understand, if somebody gives you an American promise, it doesn't mean the same thing that it meant to the children of Israel when they made a promise or an oath. I mean, how many of y'all, whenever you get a new iPhone and you do your updates, it'll say, do you agree to these terms? You just scroll, 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 agree. Ugh, I hate having to hit this button. And you're making an agreement that's binding. But in the back of our minds, we know that if I promise something that I really can't keep, or if I, if I make an a, agreement that it really isn't good for me, I can get out of it. So our challenge is we have this mindset that I can make any commitments I want, but it just depends on the circumstance whether or not I'll actually fulfill it. Then we try to interact with a God who's unchanging, and if he gives his word, he'll never move and never change it. And we think that God's fickle and that we have to do a bunch of things just to try to please him, and maybe he will, and if it's his will, and I don't know. If it's his will is the worst and most anti-kingdom and covenant statement in the whole universe. If it's his will. Ephesians tells us, don't be a fool, but know what the will of the Lord is. Why? Because he gave us his old covenant, his new covenant, and laid out in his word everything that is his desire. And if you don't know what he wants, then how can you come and place a demand on the word? You end up just saying, oh God, just do whatever, you know, whatever you want to do. You don't know what he wants to do. Why are you out here doing stuff? That's dangerous. That's not faith. Come on, we called to be people of faith. I mean, Jesus said, when I show back up, will I find faith in the earth? Faith in what? He's not saying, do I find, will I find people who believe I exist? Everything in our life hinges on believing the word of God. So again, if he's given his covenant word, he's wondering, if I show up, will I find people who are firmly persuaded that my covenant will come to pass? That's what he's looking to happen when he shows up. So how can we be people that say we're in covenant with God and yet not even know what the covenant terms are? See, if we're going to define covenant, the word covenant means this. If you're taking notes, write this down. Remember it forever. Because this, this really sets the stage not just for your walk with God, but for everything else that you do. The word covenant means an agreement between two parties to do or not do something specified. So in the garden, God gives the first verbal covenant with Adam. Covenant is actually the oldest, most enduring, most sacred contract ever known to man's existence. God looks at man and says, I've made all of this for you. Now tend to the garden, keep the garden, be uh, fruitful, multiply, subdue, and rule. He gives them all these things to do. Then in true covenant fashion, God says, you can eat from any of the trees too. All this is so good for you. Everything I've made is for you to enjoy. But there's this one thing that I have to establish, and that is don't eat from the tree. Why? Because it couldn't be a true covenant if God didn't actually outline parameters to live in. God creating the tree and telling him not to eat from the tree is God handing man his free will. If anything goes and Adam could do anything that he wanted, Adam actually doesn't have a choice. And God knew, I want them to be in covenant. I want there to be a covenant. That means it has to be an agreement. We have to be in agreement, the two of us, to do or not do something. So then we get into modern Christianity, right? And people are like, oh, it's not about do's and don'ts. Everything in life is do's and don'ts. Everything. Jesus didn't show up and say, I'm erasing everything. We're not, just do anything you want and it's all okay. Okay, we'll keep going. This is good. I'm telling you, you want to be in covenant with God. He gave Adam this covenant and understand that as long as Adam operated within the boundaries of the covenant, within the terms that God gave him of the covenant, he had the right to rule and dominate the whole planet as a king. It was the perfect life. All joy, all peace, all fulfillment, everything that man ever desired was fulfilled in obeying the terms of God's covenant. So then Adam did this terrible thing. The devil came in, the enemy. He showed up in the garden. And what he did is caused man to transgress the covenant decree. And that's what we call sin, right? Sin is disobeying the word of the king. But when we understand this king wants a covenant with you, you're disobeying the terms of the covenant. That's what sin does. That's the, whole, that's the only thing the enemy wants to do for you is to come in and cause you to not only hear what the covenant is, but then go against what the covenant actions are. If we don't understand covenant, we don't understand this, this word and how this works, then we really get confused when we read the Bible. Has anybody ever read the Old Testament and thought, what in the world is this about? 
why am I reading this? Isaiah and, uh, and these prophets, and one guy's like cooking over his own poop, and like, what is, what is going on? And we can get frustrated because the, it was written to a people that understood it at that time. And culturally, we've drifted so far from this understanding that we have to have this teaching to come bring us back to getting. When they read these things in the Bible, they were shook to their core. There was this things went off on the inside of them whenever they read things like when it says, you know, the, the blood of Jesus at their time. That was a big deal. Right now, we've just had all oh, the blood, all oh, the blood. We just say, oh, the blood. We don't really know what else to say about it. But when they heard blood, understand every time the word blood is ever mentioned in the Bible, it never means death and it never represents death. See, in our own lives, if we've ever seen our own blood, it's always negative, right? Like bad. But every time it's mentioned in the Bible, it always represents life. In fact, you can actually interchange those words, blood and life, every time you read them in the Bible. And that gives us a different perspective on whenever we're talking about the blood of Jesus. Jesus didn't pour out his death on the cross. Every, the essence of his life is what he poured out on the cross. And greater man has no love than this, than that man would lay down his life. Understand, man would shed his own blood. There's a cost and a commitment that comes with blood. So more than just having a covenant, God doesn't want just a covenant with you, not just an agreement between two parties to do or not do something specified. God wants a blood covenant with you. Blood covenant. Blood covenant is this. It's an agreement between two parties to do or not do something specified and is binding and sacred and it is punishable by death if broken. So to break a blood covenant is punishable by one thing only. Death. And isn't that what God told Adam? I mean, God put his own essence into Adam. God and Adam were one in the garden. Just like the marriage relationship gives us this, this uh, you know, understanding in the Bible that two are no they're no longer two, but they become one flesh. They become one with each other. So whenever we look at the Bible and see the word death, God said, death is going to happen to you if you, if you transgress the covenant terms. It's going to happen. And we know that didn't mean he dropped dead, like we all would imagine. Death always means separation. So again, we're defining a lot of terms tonight. But death always means separation. There's three kinds of death. One is spiritual separation, where your spirit is separate from God's. And that's the, the state that every human is born in after Adam's failure. Your spirit and God's spirit are not together. Why does that matter? That matters because Adam and God were one, and his transgressing of the covenant ripped their lives apart. No, I say it like that because that is how violent that action was. They were one and then became ripped apart. The same word that means divorce. You know, we understand how damaging that is to families and people and anybody who's gone through a divorce knows that it is a ripping of your, almost like your soul and your whole life is turned upside down. This is what the picture is that God had with Adam, that they were in one union and one accord and then Adam's sin and transgression of the covenant ripped his life apart from God's and that's how everyone is born separate from God then the other kind of death is that your spirit man who you really are becomes separated from your body and depending on the status of covenant is depending on where you'll be present who you'll be present with when that happens the whole gospel isn't about where will you go when you die but understand covenant affects that So as we keep going, covenants form an indissoluble tie or union between two parties, both the people that are involved. A blood covenant, you don't just enter a blood covenant, you know, on a whim. You're not just making a, I can't get past saying willy-nilly. I don't know why. I don't want to say that, but I'm going to have to say it. It's not a willy-nilly thing. Thank you, mother, for raising me and saying that all the time. But it's, it's not just some random inter encounter that you have with somebody. When you look at the Bible, not only did God want a covenant and a blood covenant with, with us, but he also actually outlines many covenants between people. It's all through the Bible. When you read through the Old Testament, it's like when you understand covenant and how serious it is and you understand what it looks like, that's the whole theme. Adam gets out of covenant with God. God has to take blood of an animal and cover their sins. So the whole rest of the Old Testament, blood covers the sins of man. Their sacrifices, their, their rituals, the things they did, they all just covered up the fact that they were separated from God. In fact, when they made the tabernacle, they get this big, giant, three-foot-thick you know, veil that separates man from God. 
So when Jesus came, he came to restore man back to the position that they fell from. Not only did he give man back the kingdom, but you only have the kingdom through covenant. That's it. There's no other way. You don't get the kingdom unless you're in the covenant. Adam is the perfect picture of that. He had the right to rule as long as he stayed in covenant. Then the moment he stepped out of the covenant and decided, I want to do my own actions that were contrary to the covenant terms, he lost the entire kingdom. Yeah, we think Jesus came to change the way all the, the game is played. Do whatever you want. Anything you want is fine. God is still a covenant God. He doesn't change. His word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he's a covenant God back then and cares about how you live your life, then he's a covenant God right now. The curse of the law. There's so much to cover. <laughs> Pastor said, just, just kind of just give an introduction to covenant. But the curse of the law was that God showed up and said, listen, here's the terms of my covenant. But because you're separated from me, you'll never measure up. You'll never be able to do this. You're a sorry sinner. And that's what you'll be until... Until the day comes that my blood pays the price. Not just the price for your sins, but it actually is shed and paid so that you can come into covenant. To where when Jesus came, he didn't just say, do what you want. He came and said, now you have the ability to do what I do. See, that's, that's not popular because that's personal responsibility. But where the curse of the law was that you could never measure up to God, Jesus came and showed up and said, I'm going to empower you through the covenant that you can become one with me and forever you'll be able to live my standard. We have something that they looked forward to in the Old Testament, right? We've got Abraham, we've got the patriarchs, we've got even Noah, all these guys that were making covenants with God. They looked forward to the day when God could no longer just be separated from them, but he could actually dwell in them and be one with them. God's word is always spoken as covenant and a binding agreement. You can have your own opinion. You can. You can have it. God will allow you. But understand, your opinion may be the tree that keeps you separated. God will, I love what our pastor says. He says, God will allow you to do anything you want to do. Literally, anything you can think, he will allow you to do it. But he holds you accountable for what you choose according to his covenant terms standard. You'll stand before him with the terms of the covenant clear and he'll say, did you live this? And you won't be able to say, but where's your love? His enduring quality isn't that he, it's his love, it's that he keeps his word. His love motivates him to keep his word. I don't want him to bend the rules for me. I want him to be faithful and steadfast and never change because you know why? Whenever you get in covenant with somebody, you want to write this down. It's an unlimited contract between the two people. A blood covenant is unlimited between both people. That means for me, if I get in covenant with God, I have full access to everything that God is and has. And for him to hold it back from me, he would break covenant and be worthy of death. If I'm upholding the terms of the covenant and I go to God and ask for something of his and him deny me, he's a covenant breaker. And our God never, ever, ever breaks covenant. Never. He's never done it. He never will. But you got people that are going to God and asking God for things and then they don't see their prayers answered and they're wondering what's wrong. It's not him. Maybe you don't know what the terms are. People live in any kind of lifestyle they want and then come to God and say, where's your love? He's saying it's in the covenant. Come on in. Amen. Let's look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. And again, this gives us the, the picture of the first time that blood had to be shed for man. Genesis 3, 21 says, And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve, and he clothed them. So God was concerned about them. Even though he couldn't have the covenant relationship, he wanted to cover them with blood. Then if we go down to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 it says, according to the law, one may almost say that all things are cleansed with blood. and Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Another translation says there is no remission of sins. So let's look at Leviticus chapter 17. Again, to give us some Bible examples. You're, anytime you come to Anchor Faith Church, you're never obligated just to believe what's being said from the platform just because we're saying it. You have an obligation as a believer and a child of God to go search the scriptures and only the scriptures 
and verify if what is being said is truth. And if it is, you better apply it and live it. But again, that's why we're going to go through so much scripture tonight. And there's so many more that we could go over. Again, I'm not, I'm not giving you the 300 on covenant. I'm only giving you like 50. But Leviticus chapter 17, verse 10 says, and any man from the house of Israel or from the aliens who sojourn among them, who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats the blood and I will cut him off from among his people. Jeez, that sounds, that's not very nice. And we get this idea, let me pause here and say this. We get this idea about God that he's this mean God that hates people and hates everybody's stuff and, and, and is always angry and ready just to bring the hammer or bring his judgment on everyone when we read the Bible without covenant understanding. Because then you'll read through where it's, you know, God says some violent things about the children of Israel. He's like, listen, I'm handing you over to your enemies. They're going to come in and they're going to ravage your land. They're going to, you know, your pregnant women, they'll cut open their bellies and they'll lay in. And you're like, oh, God. And all the children in the room, hey, it's your parents' fault for bringing them in the room. And, <laughs> but these violent, awful things, you think, man, God's so mean. But if you read the full context, it's because with the children of Israel, God has this, this elaborate ceremony with Moses. He shows up and he says, listen, I want you to read the terms of my covenant to them out loud. Then, and if you go back and read, Moses reads the terms of the covenant to the whole congregation. Then he says, do you agree to these terms? And they said, yes, we do. And the whole congregation and all the elders and all the leaders said, we agree to the terms. And then they immediately turn around and transgress the covenant. So God's bound to his covenant. And he tells them, I'm turning you over to your enemies. I, can, I can't, my hands are tied. I'm not in control of everything. I'm in control of my covenant. My covenant, I said, if you break the terms of my covenant, that you'll be handed over to your enemy. So what do you want me to do? What do you want God to do? Change the rules? So we get this idea that's wrong, that God's mean whenever God's just concerned about his covenant. He's in control of what his covenant says, and he will never violate it. There's this interesting story that'll give us the, some, some context into the, the way God views covenant and the children of Israel. And I, what I love about understanding covenant in the Old Testament is it pieces together so many stories and just makes it make sense. So whenever we look, uh, let's look here at Joshua chapter nine, verse 18. They can put that up, but I'll kind of paraphrase the story. What happens is God tells the children of Israel to go into the promised land. He says, you're going to dispossess the people. You're going to go in and they've got the Amalekites and the Hittites and the Canaanites and the, and the Perizzites and all the otherites. And you're going to go in and you're going to wipe them out and do not marry among them. Don't, don't, don't go in and start making trade relationships with them. I want you just to wipe them out or they will be a hindrance to you. So they say, yes, we'll do it. So Joshua goes in, they got Jericho, they start conquering territories, but then they all of a sudden get a visit from these people that are from a faraway land called the Gibeonites. And see, the Gibeonites show up, even though they live like, you know, in, yeah, <laughs> they live next door. They came and they tore up their clothes and they put on this whole facade and they came to Joshua. We've traveled from so far. We've come from a faraway land and we've heard what God has done through you guys and the enemies that you've conquered and we've heard about the Red Sea and we've heard about all this stuff. And listen, we want to be your friends. We're from really far away, but we want you to make a covenant with us that you won't hurt us. Now, I'm sad to say that my namesake wasn't using his brain. He didn't consult God. It always gets you in a mess of trouble when you don't consult God about relationships pause and think of that one. But he goes, okay, no problem. Let's make a covenant with you. So Joshua comes into covenant with the Gibeonites. Then all of a sudden they reveal, ha, we're from next door. You can't hurt us though. And you know what? Even though they were given a command by God to dispossess and kill and, and go into war with all these people, do you notice that how covenant was so sacred that they didn't do that? Even though they were supposed to obey God, what was more important to God? that they keep their covenant. Okay, so then let's, let's fast forward in the Bible to 2 Samuel. A lot of time has gone by. We've got, you know, this is, this is Joshua and the children of Israel, so we've got a lot of time that has elapsed, and all of a sudden we get into where Saul is now king of Israel. Saul's passionate about what God wants, right? And we realize he was not the greatest, and then in the end he was actually one of the worst. But Saul goes in and in his zeal goes in and just starts obliterating everybody. So then Saul loses the anointing. It gets handed over to David and we pick up in 2 Samuel verse 21. 
Second Samuel verse 21, one through six. I'll just read this. I'll read these six scriptures here real fast for you. It says, now there was a famine in the days of David for three years. Year after year, David inquired of the Lord and the Lord answered and said, it is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house. So there's turmoil in Israel. The whole nation is in turmoil and famine. People are dying. It's this awful. And David's thinking, what have I done? Then consults with God and he says, it's because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house because he killed the Gibeonites. God judged the nation of Israel because they broke a covenant that they made with another man. This is the zeal and passion God has towards covenants. It's a big deal. I mean, there's a whole theme in our mighty men's. Has anybody ever graduated mighty men 318? It seems like the difference between a real man and a coward is really just their ability to keep their word no matter what it costs. And if we're made in the image and likeness of God, like it says in Genesis 1:26, God keeps his word. What's our obligation? I mean, it says that we should keep our own word and swear to our own hurt. That means if you make an agreement or you make something and it's not beneficial to you, you should swear to your own hurt. That's what he expected the children of Israel to do. They made a covenant with these people that they were supposed to destroy. And then God expected them to keep it forever. Then he began to judge the whole nation because they broke covenant. If we look at Deuteronomy chapter 28, God has every covenant, you know, there's, there's nine steps to enacting a blood covenant. We won't have time tonight to go over really any of those steps, but it's interesting whenever you begin to see what the, the traditions and the, um, the ceremonies look like when two people would come into covenant with each other, that how much you can notice that throughout the rest of the Bible, even into the new Testament, you'll see people having covenants or these binding agreements with each other that are to be never broken and punishable by death if broken. And if somebody broke one of them, death happened. It's like this weird pattern, right? It's the consequences of breaking the covenant are death. Yet you broke the covenant. And why are you now upset that this is showing up? I mean, doesn't it say for the wages of sin is death. What do you expect if you willfully go against a command of God? What do you expect is going to happen? We want God to cover up what we did or we want God to come in and change it just for me. It's, I'm, a, I'm a unique situation. You know, I know that I blew it. But God, you know, aren't you a loving God? He's a God who keeps his word. Now, again, tonight well, we're going to bring some things back in the end because this God that is that concerned about his word also is a merciful and loving God. I mean, even David, when he made a mistake, God said, listen, one of three things is going to happen. Either I'm going to turn you over to your enemies or, and uh, you know, I'm going to come in and do something or you'll have famine. And David said, I'd rather be in the hands of the Lord with my punishment. And then David is this guy that God honored forever. We're still talking about him. It's been like 4,000 years, and I'm still talking about him right now tonight. We're telling his tale. We're talking his story. Why? Because God viewed David and said, he's a man after my heart. That would tell me we need to go research and find what is David saying all through the Psalms. It's all about covenant. Your, your precepts, your principles, I love them. My heart instructs me on your principles. He's always talking about the covenant that God has with Israel so much that I want to tell this story in a, in a new light that we probably haven't seen before. But King David, before he was king, he was just a boy. And we know that the prophet came to his house and, and anointed him. We know how that story goes. But David was a man who understood in his time covenant and how it worked. See, there's this part of covenant that whenever two people would, would have a blood covenant, an unlimited covenant with each other, they would take off their belts and exchange their belts with each other. What this represented was their battle ability or their protection. Because back then, you know, nobody's wearing pants, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. You watch, I watch these little Bible cartoons with my son. I'm like, what are these outfits? David's in skinny jeans. I'm a fan of skinny jeans, but it wasn't back then. I'm a, I'm a realist, okay? But their belts held their outfits together, especially when they went to war. Their belts held their, their sword. Their shield would clip into it. Their greaves, their, all of the, everything that was part of their armor would clip into the center point of their belt. So whenever they took that off and exchanged it with another person, it represented their war ability. Well, God didn't shy away from Israel with him trading his own protection with them. When he made covenant with Abraham, there was an understanding that in covenant to those people, God has to protect us. 
So then he leads the children of Israel out of Egypt and who protected them? God did. God's the one who went before them. Whenever they had to fight any battles, who went before them and protected them? So there was this understanding that God, if, a, if he's a covenant God, which he is, then he's got to protect me. Well, then David shows up understanding covenant on the battlefield and hears Goliath. This is all found in First and Second Samuel. Read through it. It's some of my favorite, you know, it's way better than Lord of the Rings, okay? You can't, you can't make this stuff up. It's awesome. It's history. It really happened. But when you go into the, you know, the, the story of Samuel's, David shows up on the battlefield and hears Goliath roaring and saying, you know, mocking the Israelites, mocking the children of Israel. It's understood by their name that they're the ones who are in covenant with God. He wasn't just mocking who they were. He was mocking the fact that these are God's covenant people. And the Israelites were terrified. And they, for a whole month, he's out there every day showing up and yelling and yelling insults. So the one, by the time David shows up, who has spent time with this covenant God, who has been writing Psalms, who, is, who is, has this relationship with God and understands covenant in his culture, shows up and hears this guy making fun of their covenant head. And we know all he was concerned about in the moment was covenant by the way he addressed him. He didn't go up there and say, who is this giant? In fact, I find it interesting. David never refers to Goliath as a giant. David never refers to him as a warrior. David refers to him as one thing. He comes up and he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? See, if you understand covenant, you know circumcision was a mark of the children of Israel that they were in covenant with God. He showed up on the battlefield and said, what is wrong with all of you? He's not even in covenant. This is an uncircumcised Philistine that has come against us. How can we not go against him? So he goes, I says, I'll do it. Apparently, I'm the only one who remembers what covenant is. David was never the underdog. We love the David and Goliath story. It says it's an underdog, but it doesn't make sense when you know covenant. David was always the one with God on his side. He didn't walk out on the field wondering, what am I going to do? He walked out on the field knowing, if God doesn't show up, he's a covenant breaker. Does God break covenant? Never. So David shows up with all the confidence of a covenant man and says, there's no chance that I'll fail. He didn't use the sword. He didn't use the armor. All he needed was to know, I'm in covenant with the one you're against. Then goes up there and cuts off his head because a covenant man showed up on the field and reminded the whole nation who they were. Children of Israel, they didn't have a good track record remembering. They really didn't. You've got all access to God and then all of a sudden you get out in the, in the desert and you're like, oh, we're hungry and we're going to die of hunger and thirst. If God let them die, he'd be a covenant breaker. That's the conversation he had with Moses. He brings them out there and their people are complaining and God says to Moses, like, listen, uh, do I need to wipe them out and start over with you? And Moses says, but what do people say about your covenant? How will that look for your name? Your name is the name we bear as a nation. You're the God of Israel. People will think you broke covenant if they, if they die. So God said, I'll uphold my covenant. And in fact, the covenant changes your whole prayer life. When you go to God and you know what his covenant promises are, that he'll never fail and never, never not give you, when you go to God, you're not begging him to do something for you. You're just placing a demand on the covenant. And there's nothing arrogant about that or prideful. It's just knowing what God says you can have and then going and asking for it and placing a demand. It was so frustrating for me when my children are like, oh, are we going to be able to eat today? No, they don't say that, but that would be frustrating. Are we going to be able to eat? I'm a provider in the home. You shouldn't be having to ask me that. No, you know what they do. They are in covenant. So they, they come and go, we're hungry. What are you going to do about it? I mean, yeah, but the Bible says that healing is the children's bread. Then we go to God and say, if it's your will, please heal me if I've done enough good or if I've done. When he's in his covenant, he said, I'm the Lord that healeth thee. So when you go to him, you're not asking him to heal you. You're coming and saying, in covenant, I've done my part. What are you going to do? That's the confidence we have when we know that. I mean, that's why I fully believe in Ephesians when he writes and says that, that we would understand the confidence that we have in the inheritance. Our inheritance is not one of just salvation that when we die, we go to heaven. Their inheritance is that we've been brought back into the covenant. I want to be in covenant. I want to be with God. I want to be one with him. But it comes at a price. Any person that tells you otherwise is a liar. It costs God his own blood and his own life to bring you into this covenant and you think it's going to be cheaper for you. 
The problem is we don't understand this when we get born again. <laughs> you know, we got this whole awesome service on Sunday. Was everybody here on Sunday to see the, you know, the, the king is calling. He's calling you out. He's calling you out of your death into life. But understand the king is calling you into covenant and nothing else. He's not calling you into salvation and being saved. He's calling you into covenant, which saves you. So whenever we get born again, the, the, the church world for, for a long time did a disservice to people by just telling them, where will you go when you die? Pray right now. Pray with me right now, right now. Come on. Let's just seal the deal. Let's just pray. Because pastor just said this on Sunday. You get some kind of notch on your belt like, oh, I got another person saved. When you didn't tell them what they were getting into. The only way to come into the kingdom and the only way to get into covenant is to be born again and born into it. But if you look at Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, it tells us how to be born again, but it's important to look at the words that are used. It says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is what? Lord. See, this is Anchor Faith Church. We know our stuff. Because so many people would think, well, he's the Savior. That's a relationship that only comes through covenant. I want Jesus to be my, he's my, he's my brother. He, that's a relationship that comes only through what? Covenant. So it says confess with your mouth. That word confess doesn't mean to declare or to say out loud. The word confess, if you look at its root meaning, it means to make a verbal covenant with your mouth. That's a binding agreement between you and God to do and not do anything that he says. And he sealed that whole transaction with his own blood, which makes it a binding oath, punishable by death if broken. And what is the covenant that you're making with your mouth to become born again? That he is Lord. Lord means master, supreme in authority, ruler, owner of your life. So when you look in context of the Bible, when it's telling you to become born in and make a covenant that he is Lord, look at who he really is. I know that we always talk about Jesus, Jesus, but Jesus was somebody more than just a man who lived for 33 years. In John 1, 1, it tells, it starts telling us who Jesus actually is. So in John 1, 1, it says in the beginning was the word. word and the word was with God and the word was God. Then in verse 14, it says God's word became flesh and dwelt among us. If I could just stop right there and say, God's word is so powerful. He wasn't concerned about sending his son to the world. He was concerned about sending his word to the world, and he had to do that through his son. When you look at the Old Testament, it says he sent forth his word and healed them. God's word is the center of everything we do in life. It is the most powerful entity in the whole universe. So we're making this commitment to God, not just to a man, Jesus, who is seated at the right hand of the Father. We're making this commitment when we become born again that God's word dictates my whole life. And there's really kind of two kinds of people in the room. Those who are saying, that sounds hard. This is, sounds kind of legalistic. He's a king in a kingdom, in a government that has laws and rules. But then there's the other people who see it for what it really is and realize the liberty, the freedom that comes in saying, God, I don't have to do anything on my own ever again. Whatever he says is the best for you. You realize any time that you found yourself in sin and live in that lifestyle, even though it may have been fun for a season, you were so broken when you came out of it, you wished you'd never done it. Yet we want to act like, well, God, if he's so good, why is he telling me not to do something? To save you. You want to be saved? That's what most Christians always say. I want to be saved, but he's trying to save you from now. His blood has brought you into the covenant so that you wouldn't have to incur things that you need to get forgiveness for all the time. It's kind of like the picture of my kids. You know, my kids, they're well-behaved and I love them, but I spank their butts. The Bible says foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. And I got some, at times, they're little fools running around. And I'll spank their butts. But it's almost like, People think that Jesus did this as a, as a father and as a parent, that he came in and said, listen, I won't give you a spanking ever again. Do anything you want to do. You realize my children would be little hellions. They got big personalities. They're stubborn. I got to keep them in line. 
And we think Jesus came and took away with a punishment when Jesus did so much more. He came in and gave, them the, gave us the ability to not have to incur a punishment. Jesus didn't just fix the fruit of your situation. He went down to the very roots of what causes your problem and then changed you from the inside out by bringing you into covenant. So anything that he has to say in covenant, I want to obey. But we just have to become people who get in the word and find out what does the word say about me? A few other examples that I'll give before we close. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. Jesus didn't come and just do away with the old covenant. Jesus came and fulfilled that covenant and brought us a brand new one. If you disagree with that, don't read your Bible anymore because it says New Testament, which means covenant. But it says, now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant. Notice he didn't say he was a mediator of a different kind of relationship. Jesus is here to mediate you with a still a covenant, but a better one. A better agreement between two people to do and not do things specified. Do you agree with God? He was so quiet because everybody's like, do I? This is a hard message. It says, for if the first covenant had been faultless, there would be no occasion for the, to seek a second one. But finding fault with them, he says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. They broke it. He says, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. He seems hard. Look at the context. They broke covenant and God had to become separate from them. His love, even though he loved them, could not be extended to them. Okay. For they did not continue in my covenant and I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. That I will put my laws into, put his what? So this is after the old covenant. He says, I will put my, in the new covenant, I'm going to put my laws where? In their minds. And I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. So in this new covenant, what's he doing? He's coming in to deposit his covenant terms inside of us that we would know them. I mean, Joshua even knew before the new covenant happened, he said, I meditate the word day and night that I can be successful. Does anybody want to be success? How can we do that without the word? You can't. Okay, let's look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. I told you there's going to be a lot of scriptures, but it's worth it. Hebrews 9, 15. It says, for this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since death has taken place for the redemption and transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. In this new covenant, we get this inheritance that is eternal and lasting forever as long as we make sure that his laws are written on our hearts and that we live his covenant terms. Let's look at another one. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16. Hebrews 10, 16, he's repeating, and there's this pattern that's happening through the book of Hebrews. He says, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days. And you understand, if God repeats something, it must be important. He's, remind, he's, he's like, I don't want, you may have missed it. The first, he knew church people, right? He's like, y'all may have missed it the first time I said it. So I'm going to say it again. And in Hebrews 10, 16, he says, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws on their heart and on their mind. I will write them, says the Lord. Then if we go to Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. It says, now may the God of peace who brought you up from the dead and the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant that is Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will. Man, let's just stop for a second. May the God of peace who brought you up from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant. So through the blood of his covenant, Jesus has equipped you in every good thing to do his will. Not only is the covenant serious, God has made you able to do it. That's the good news. 
We want to live as kings and reign and dominate this planet, but you only do that through covenant. It's the only way. And not only has God set this standard higher and is calling believers to a higher level, but he has said, I would never ask you to do it if I didn't give you the ability to do it. He's not unjust. He's not unfair. That's why it makes no sense for people to say, I'm just a sorry sinner saved by grace. Jump over into the new covenant. In the old covenant, remember we said that blood covered their sins. Jesus showed up and removed sin. But he didn't remove choice. And that's important. Because he removed sins and put man in a holy, sinless state on the inside, just like Adam in the garden. But there's still a tree. It's good. It's good for us. Hebrews, uh, or no, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. It says, now it's because of God's mercy that he has, that we have been entrusted with the privilege, say privilege, privilege, of this new covenant ministry. And we will not quit or faint with weariness. What he's saying is, listen, all throughout history, from the beginning of time, all the way until now, God has been concerned with getting man into covenant with him so that man can fulfill his assignment on the earth. And we've been privileged through the blood of Jesus. What his blood did is not just pay the penalty of your sin. The blood of Jesus came and removed sin from the scenario as long as you keep it out. I know that we say that, but a lot of times people think that's not what he did. He said, I came to destroy the works of the devil. And he did that through his blood. But what were the works of the devil? Making you go to hell? Adam wasn't on his way to hell. The work the devil did was came in and caused him to transgress the covenant. Jesus said, I came to destroy that. You don't have to live outside of God anymore. You can obey God and do right and live right. And it's the best life imaginable. So the only way that you don't want this is that you want to incur guilt and shame and all that comes with making wrong choices. He empowered you to make right choices. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you want more, subscribe to our message podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Rating and leaving a comment will go a long way with helping our messages get better circulation. If you'd enjoy watching our weekend messages, visit youtube.com forward slash anchor faith. We'd love it if you'd subscribe, leave a comment or a like on the messages. If you'd like to find out more information about us and how we're influencing the world and help support the work we're doing by giving, just visit anchorfaith.com. 